Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And we talk about making connections so often on this show. We are more connected through technology today than ever before. Yet many of us feel disconnected, isolated, and alone The transition to the digital age is certainly affecting us in ways we never imagined. Our computers, tablets, phones, devices, gaming, all of this impacts our bodies, our brains, our relationships, and even our self-image. Technology has become a constant in our daily lives for the good, and sometimes for not so much the good. Our guest today will teach us how to take control back from our devices so that we become tools for our health and happiness instead of screens that hold us captive. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest Dr. Doreen Dodgen-McGee is a psychologist with over 25 years of experience working with individuals and groups in Portland, Oregon. She also maintains a national and international speaking docket and is followed online where she posts challenges for living moderately with tech and wildly in embodied spaces. Doreen's main passion is engaging people about how the new digital landscape is shaping humanity. She's the author of the new book, Deviced, Balancing Life and Technology in a Digital digital World. I can hardly speak today, and I know I made an error in that intro as well. Welcome, Doreen. Thank you so much. I'm so, so honored to be here. Oh, I am really happy to have you here and um, looking forward to this conversation. Hopefully I won't stumble on my words today. Um, so thank Stumbling you. Stumbling for- is all good. It's authentic and that's what is the best in life. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you for that. That feels good. I'm going to, I'm going to go with that for the rest of the hour here. So Doreen, I have a traditional first question here on the show. And we always like to set this context into this bigger perspective of, of our theme here on All Things Connected, the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. So I want to start with our traditional first question. Can you share with our listeners, what does All Things Connected mean to you? Oh, that's a really good question. I think All Things Connected means something very different to me than it meant 15 or 20 years ago prior to um, the advent of uh, cell phones then and what has become this tiny little computer that sits in our pocket. I think I think about All Things Connected right now as being something that is more true than ever, kind of like you said. We are more connected to people, to ideas, to places than we have ever been. But I think actually the word and idea of connection means something very different than it used to. I think it it often means uh, encounter rather than deep experience with anymore. So we're more 
connected in terms of we encounter more each other more maybe but i actually feel as though we are less deeply relationally connected um, or even uh, intellectually connected than we've ever been Mm. well that right there is a good point we are going to dig into both the positives and the negatives of of technology and this pseudo connection at times and literal connection at other times and so I'm really looking forward to the conversation I enjoyed reading your book and I have way too many questions for an hour to hold <laughs> I have to tell you but so this book it's brilliant so thank you for all your hard work you're it, it's the culmination of decades of study on your part and you've been looking at the impact of technology both good and bad like we've talked about on individuals and and on our culture as a society. And I know you're a busy mom, you're a psychologist, you have full-time practice, but you've devoted 15 hours a week doing research on this topic. And I don't know for how long, I'm curious for, to have you answer that, but what prompted you to start looking at this and what is your story? What brings you to this book device? Interesting question. So there are two things. First of all, uh, being an auntie is a very important role in my life. And when I uh, was fortunate enough to become one, I began looking for the same kind of toys for my nephew that my brother and I loved playing with. And we were very, we grew up in a very fiery, embodied, uh, encouraging of imagination home. And so I was looking for things like that very old Fisher Price auto garage where you cranked the little crank and there was a little gas nozzle you could put in. And as I was looking for for these kinds of things for my own nephew, I began to notice that most preschool toys were chipped at that point. This was about 15 years ago, realizing that computers were now doing the actions and making sounds or computer chips, I'm sorry, in these toys, um, which made the the need for human interaction between parent and child less obvious. Uh, and, And that began to kind of sit in my brain in an odd way about how that was going to impact these children's ability to have kind of um, lower levels of stimulation and still be pleased with them or be able to build their imagination. At the same time, my husband works in high tech, and so we tended to be pretty early adopters of technology. And this is, again, about 15 years ago. My kids were entering middle school, and cell phones were becoming pretty prominent. And as a psychologist, I was watching the way that um, group encounters of adolescents were being dramatically changed by the presence of this little device. And as a psychologist, I began to think about, you know, at this important point in their developmental trajectory, how might this disrupt what I would think of as a healthy developmental trajectory, which in my opinion and in the, the, the findings of a lot of research is based on a secure attachment between humans and embodied spaces. How is this going to really alter the way that uh, children and young adults adults are shaped both intellectually, neurologically, and relationally. And so early on, I just decided because of those two things to start grabbing up any research I could find. At the same time, I felt like it was really important to stay aware of pop culture trends because that so often drives technology. Um, And I just was very fortunate to uh, become interested and curious early on. And um, because of that, feel like I have been fortunate enough to have a bit of a front seat to a lot of the ways that these changes have come to to be manifesting themselves. 
Mm. Well, the front seat, um, you you sit in it well. You're not only a psychologist who really understands the, the depth and breadth of our psyche and how this technology affects us, but then you've done all this research looking at, at the science of how this affects our brains and our bodies and and our relationships, and, and then you're looking at pop culture trends. So it's this perfect um coherent story that you've woven together in this front seat that you've taken. It's beautiful. You said the average American spends 12 and a half hours a day with screens. And so I want to set this in a context for the listeners to really dig in deeper here. So this seems like a lot of time. But then when I think about computers and work, it, it makes sense. Okay, there's an eight-hour day that you're basically looking at a computer screen, maybe, but then our children are looking at tablets and computer screens and even reading their texts on it now, doing their classroom work. So by by looking at the impact of this, if we're spending 12 and a half hours a day with devices, we're not spending that time engaged with people, being relational, doing other important activities. Can you just share more about your perspective from the broader sense of what you've learned of how this technology becoming device has really affected us? Yeah, I think one thing that's really interesting is that that statistic, which comes from several very well um, constructed longitudinal studies, really came before computers or tablets were very prominent in the classroom. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that we're seeing them now even in the classroom at such a huge uh, rate and increasing every day means that that statistic is probably higher. And the other thing to know about that number is that 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 factors in the fact that most Americans now use more than one technology at a time. So if you are texting with someone while you're also working on a paper or you're watching a movie on your laptop and you're texting or playing a game on your tablet and you do that for two hours, really the the load on your psyche and on your brain is cumulative. So you take those two hours and set them side by side. So the two hours where you've multitasked with two devices becomes four hours you've engaged with screens. So that's Mm -hmm. important to know about that time. Um, But what I find is that you're right. It isn't just that the the interaction with the screens has an impact on us, which it does, and we are now seeing that that impact exists in the neurological realm. So our brains are actually looking different in fMRI scans than they did. It impacts the way that the scaffolding upon which we build our relationships is very different. And also just the way we relate to ourselves is drastically different uh, based upon kind of a culture which is now more oriented towards promoting the self rather than knowing the self and functioning from a deep, what I call internal locus of control. So not only are those things happening, but at the same time, we're being robbed of practice in our natural environments. So for instance, what I find in looking at all the research is that the areas that that 12 and a half hours a day come from or where we take time from is from social practice, which is where we learn how to kind of be our awkward selves out and about in the world and live through it and kind of 
d to develop grit and resilience in terms of facing awkward moments and difficult situations. Um, it also comes from family talk time, which is where we learn, you know, from sitting around the table with our family, just that thing we should maybe not have said that pushes mom and dad or mom or dad over the edge or that that later our moms come to us and tell us that was not the kindest thing. How might you say that differently? So we're just, we're taking time from these places that build us. We're also taking time from physical activity, which means we are less and less comfortable and um, actually capable in our own skin. And then the, the fourth place it comes from is sleep, which is where our bodies actually regenerate and where we kind of um, get the most intense form of, of soothing we can often have. So, so it has kind of a double effect in terms of it's shaping us just by our very use, and that is also robbing us from things that would build us in really healthy and well-rounded ways. Mm. You touched on so many different topics there, and I hope we can come back and, and weave all of them into the conversation because it's so important. But the, the one piece that I, I just want to bring out first is this idea of um, communication, this, this constant online engagement is really eroding our ability to effectively communicate in person. And so that talk time around the table, being with our family, and, and here we are learning, I'm guilty of it. I, it's easy to send a quick text message, you know, and to get a quick response. And yet then I have so many different people trying to communicate with me and mm -hmm. I can't keep up with it. You know, I have all these different, probably a dozen ways that someone can try to reach me through technology. And then I get into unhealthy habits. Like if it comes in and it gets my attention and, and I'm busy, like I would never turn over my phone and read a text while I'm doing a radio show, but I might while I'm working on the computer. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I'll get back to them later. And then yeah. I forget, you know, and then it's like, days go by. But I actually had a really <laughs> funny situation happen to me. Um, Doreen, I'd love to he hear you talk about communication. But I last week had a professional woman. She's young in her 20s. And um, she's working for a, a very large major organization. And she sent me an email. And I had had um, a minor health issue. And I was offline for several days. And so I think it was like the third or the fourth day. And and I got her email and I went, oh, and I sent her a response and I said, I'm so sorry for my delay. I've had this little health thing and, and I'm back online now. And she's like, oh, that didn't take long at all. Three days isn't long or four days. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it just feels so strange. It's either instant or three or four days is no big deal. And so yes. let's talk about communication because it's really changing our patterns here. It is. I, I think a few things that come to mind in relation to the story you shared, which is so telling of our times, is that two of the, the most, um, or not most touted, but two of the highly touted benefits of increased um, engagement with technology are that we become better task switchers when we use technology a lot, and that we also become better at what what is called in the research asynchronous communication. So basically what both of those things says or are saying is that we become better at coming and going and um, departing or leaving our, our communications with greater ease and then coming back to them later in a way that isn't really based on time. And I'm not sure I see that as a potentially positive thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> but the research claims that it is. And then task switching is really just a fancy word for multitasking. And 
the massive majority of research on multitasking shows us that it is actually, um, it makes communication less effective. Uh, and so, so it's interesting how we're even thinking about communication now and talking about it in the literature in terms of, you know, because we're seeing these changes, does that make them positive? To me, it feels a little bit like saying that we're good task switchers and good at asynchronous communication is a little bit like saying, I'm a really good smoker because I smoke a lot. Mm. You know, so I'm really good at communicating in the ways we need to now because I do it a lot. But that doesn't answer the question of, is it effective in terms of maintaining our human relationships, which are dependent upon communication to build and maintain them. And one of the things that I, I think has drastically changed is that we no longer live in a time where there is kind of a sense of, of the expectation of moderated intimacy, meaning that I, you and I encounter each other. I maybe share a little bit about myself and I see how you respond to that. You share a little about yourself and see how I respond to that. And then we, we, kind of over time build this sense of each other based on real knowledge and processing that knowledge about how I feel with you and how I feel about how you respond to me. Instead, we have this full disclosure at a click of a button now, and that is disclosure to a curated sense of self in something like a social media setting where I, you know, I look you up and I see this, this vision of you that either you have curated or the internet has curated for me. And then I come to you in our first encounter um, or our first point of connection uh, with all kinds of pre-existing ideas. And you come to that encounter knowing that likely I already have pre-existing ideas about you based on what you have curated. And if that's the case, then very frequently we feel insecure about that because we know we curate a sense of ourselves that is built to make us look maybe a little better than we actually feel or are. And so then we've got rather than this kind of moderated intimacy, we've got this kind of wonky um, pre-existing ideas when we come to each other that actually then again rob us from the ability to learn how to encounter authentic others, how to live through the maybe discomfort of that and work through it to learn to be a whole self in, in intimate connectedness with another whole self. Mm. Wow. You, you just brought in an idea that I haven't even put words to that is so powerful when you say curated sense of self and that's literally what we're talking about with with technology and social media aren't we that we are literally curating or like the computer may put that profile together with but for the most part we are curating and mm -hmm. that's amazing because when you bring in then authenticity so for you and I like I I, I didn't look you up on social media, but I went to your website to prepare for the show and read mm -hmm. your book. And um, so I got a feel for you in, in some of the videos you presented and, and, you know, and so I got that feeling from you. But if I went to, went to social media and your Facebook page, which is interesting, I, mm -hmm. I didn't. Sometimes I do, depending mm -hmm. on how much is on the website. Um, and I don't know if you checked out our show, but that's typically how we introduce ourselves to people, isn't it? We even judge 
people, right. whether we want right. to be friends with them or not. Yes. <laughs> and we, we homogenize ourselves, don't we? It's like, oh, yes. yeah, that we have so many things in common. I'm going to like this person. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I, I talk about it as kind of a, uh, we live in a culture of objectification and we kind of shop for what we want, even in our friendships now or our professional uh, encounters. Um, and I think this is especially an issue for adolescents who, you know, adolescents are, in t- or children, now we're trending down constantly with technology, yeah. but they are, you know, they are, they, they have access now to things like filters for their photos. You know, when, when I, I, I actually have committed to not checking people out online before I encounter them. So I did not check out your show, <laughs> um, <laughs> but so I don't, so I don't know. And if I don't know how to relate in terms of like our ages or anything, but when I was young, you know, if I took a picture of myself cause I needed to p- put it up somewhere to show who I was. I had like 12 pictures on my camera and I had to take it to Rayleigh's and have them developed and then bring them home. You know? yeah. and, and now kids can take 50 photos of themselves and apply filters to them to make, you know, to thin them out or lighten their skin or darken their skin or, you know, they, they, and this is pretty common. Um, and then they have a whole profile of themselves based on this very selective curated self and think of, I think often about how much anxiety that must create for them when they go out into the embodied world. And I have so much empathy for them because it must feel very scary when you know that you can't live up to this image that has either been created about you. And the same goes for things like cyberbullying or all the kinds of websites that exist now that are GPS um, enabled that allow individuals at a school to post horribly mean-spirited things about people um, that that an adolescent can't stop, (laughs) that they're just subject to this at all times, and the way that that shapes their own feelings about themselves, and then the fact that our own feelings about ourselves determine the health of our relationships with others. And so you have that double kind of hit to the whole relational being. Yeah. I love that you are an expert in this. Like I can listen to you talk about it all day long because you're weaving in so many different important elements of this. You have a real holistic picture of technology and the digital world. And yes, there's so much good and there's so much not so good. And, um, we are definitely not going to get to my list of questions <laughs> because we're already halfway through. I need to take a short break, but this is brilliant. Thank you for continuing to just weave this, this whole comprehensive view of what technology is doing to us. So after the break, we're going to talk so much more about changing our bodies, our health, our wellness. There's so much more yet to come. We're here with Doreen Dodgen McGee. She's the author of device balancing Life and technology in a digital world. We'll be right back. The Empower Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. 
The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul. Calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in physics, I learned that I'm a loser. Today in school, in math, I learned that I'm ugly and useless. Trash. And in gym, in biology, I learned that I'm pathetic that I'm fat and a joke. And stupid. In history, Today in I learned that I'm trash. Today in school, I learned that I have no friends. In biology, in English, I learned that I make I people that sick. And, stupid. And, in and at lunch, I learned that I sit on my own because I, I smell. That I'm a loser. And in chemistry, I learned that no one in likes biology, me. In biology, I learned that I'm fat and stupid. And in math, I learned that I'm trash. The only thing I didn't learn in school today. The only thing I didn't learn today. The only thing I didn't learn is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. Today's a good day to grab your kids and hang out with them for an hour. Dance, walk, play a sport, or cook a healthy meal. Because just moving a little and eating better every day can help make you and your child healthier. Can we do it? Yeah, you know that we can. We'll ball it up. Because we know how to hoop. We'll mess around. Because we know how to play. We'll drop it down. Drop it down. Because we know how to dance. We'll veg it up. Veg it up. Search We Can online to find doable tips and activities that you can use every day to keep you and your kids healthy. Remember, that's We Can. A message from the Ad Council, HHS, and NIH's We Can program. People are always looking to invest in a good opportunity. So what if you could invest in the future of kids, like a stock? Not the kind of stock that's about making money, but a stock for social change called Better Futures. With your investment, it helps students like me go to college. My name is Charles, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. An entire station devoted to your personal development. Welcome to Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I would love to hear from you. Was this Is this conversation meaningful? Uh, send me your feedback, leave a comment, sign up for my email list, and we'll stay connected. Also, come join us and the whole community at goodofthewhole.com. Again, that's goodofthewhole.com. I'm here today with Doreen Dajan McGee. You can find out more about her work, everything on the website, Doreen DM.com. That's Doreen, D is in David, M is in Mary, dot 
com. And Doreen, I'm like all fired up now. I'm like so fired <laughs> up. <laughs> there were a couple of things you said that 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 really tapped deep into something here that that I am so fired up about. And the first was that we're promoting the self rather than knowing the self and then this curated sense of self. So I want to switch from this reality of who we be as humans to the reality of our world. And I'll I'll, I'll tell you in a, Mm -hmm. a couple different ways. So I have this friend who's developing virtual reality games and devices that play with consciousness Mm -hmm. and consciousness experiences, spiritual experiences and love relationship experiences. So they're recreating these experiences in a virtual reality and measuring our bodies that respond as if it's real, because we know Mm -hmm. through imagination, that's what happens. So obviously there's some serious ethical and psychological impacts of the virtual reality and how we're offering these embodied technologies. And, you know, my concern is when, what happens when the technology outpaces our ability to really understand it and to to manage it. And then on top of that is experienced and experiencing an embodied life is all about that sensory experience of the world. So, you know, here we are taking walks in nature, playing with the elements, experiencing the arts, moving our bodies, listening to the birds or listening to music. So it's like, what is the use of technology doing to our experience of beauty and wonder and awe and this real life experience, this, the true nature of reality we know isn't this physical world and yet we experience ourselves in this world through our senses and and we we learn from this embodied place that now with technology we have this new disembodied or is it is it embodied like is virtual reality in our body responding is that really a healthy thing for us moving forward help (laughs) Wow, that's a lot. Um, And I resonate with a lot of that. I I actually, my whole approach and, and the message that I most strongly want to communicate is that of, um, non shaming conversations and moderation. So Mm It, it's, it would be very easy for me personally to say virtual reality, um, you know, has more, in my opinion, more possibly uh, negative impacts in the way it relates to entertainment. I think it has huge, it's going to give us amazing benefits in the world of science and medicine and, um, and maybe even some forms of human connectedness. But, but while I may feel that personally, I really would be remiss um, if I didn't say there are going to be amazing benefits for it from it, even in the world of entertainment. The thing that I want, I would like to encourage everyone who interacts with virtual reality to think about is that it's easier to establish healthy norms than it is to break bad habits. And what I find is that with, with, especially with those of us in the Western world in America, we don't tend to be great with moderation and the newest, shiniest, most exciting experience grabs our attention. And then we want more, more, more. And while I don't want to overemphasize, you know, the, the role of the brain, I mean, there's 
all of us are important to our functioning, not just our brain. The brain wires together where it fires together. And if we are only exposing it to very exciting, enticing experiences in places like virtual reality, we really lose the, the literally the neurological capacity and the experiential capacity to be satisfied with our embodied spaces. They just don't determine the same or don't deliver. I'm sorry, the same amount of of exciting stimulation and perfectly uh, catering to our own uh, interests experiences. And so I I believe that things like technology in general and virtual reality specifically create such um, such a level of stimulation that is novel and enticing to us that it, it makes us less likely to engage our embodied world and less comfortable with interacting with our embodied world. And when we are less comfortable with it, we will avoid it <laughs> and we will escape into those easier spaces. So I that's why I feel like our only hope in terms of developing moderate new norms with technology, because most of us have created very excessive habits with technology and it's very hard to break them but if we can break them to in in the service of establishing healthy moderate norms um unless we do that we literally won't have what we need to be able to tolerate the, the slow pace of an actual embodied experience or the boredom involved in an embodied embodied experience um, or the awkwardness that is required in developing um, a meaningful physical encounter with another being. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you talk about boredom as a, as a good thing. And I just want to follow up with this piece because it does make perfect sense. So my, my next question that just bubbles up and, and emerges here is creating this dependency then on technology. So when we're bored, it's not moving as fast. We're having all these experiences um, with technology, then life gets to be mundane. And I'm, I'm thinking about the dependency on it. You know, we, we look at technology now for our health and our well-being. We, we, we track our level of health and our nutrition. We, it teaches us how to meditate, right? We, it teaches yes. us how to parent. It teaches us how, you know, and, and so, yeah, when I, I think about, the, here's the sad part is like that innate genius that's within us, that mm-hmm. everything that technology can do is likely somewhere within us that, I mean, how are we learning how to create all this technology, right? We have these innate right. capacities that we're not tapping into if we're depending on the technology. Can you mm-hmm. respond to that piece? Yeah, I I think, you know, we tend to think of things like fitness trackers as benign or as the new, you know, most new baby monitors come in a wearable form. So these are little devices that you strap onto your infant's uh, wrist or ankle, and it will send two mom and dad's cell phone, you know, respiration rates, room temperature, body temperature, um, all this data, you know, and it's like, just like with our fitness trackers, we get all this data. And what I find happens with those things is then that we, we believe the lie that attendance to the data is more reliable than attendance to our own human ability to 
relate and understand the message indicators of our own bodies or of, of the bodies in proximity to us. Yeah. You know, there are hardly, there's hardly any group more anxious than new parents, in my opinion. And when they're getting all this data, medical data that they don't really even know how to interpret, it, it actually raises their anxiety rather than just, you know, hey, every once in a while, check in on your wee one. I've seen this a lot with sleep, with both wearable fitness trackers for adults and uh, wearable monitors for children. You know, parents will uh, go in much too quickly to a child's room if they aren't sleeping, or they'll create anxiety about the lack of sleep that their children are having, even if their children aren't complaining about not sleeping, even if baby is content as can be, just laying alert and awake. Or we ourselves maybe, you know, when we wake up in the morning would be benefited by say, by kind of doing a little body scan. <laughs> How do I feel? Do I feel rested? Do I feel like I got enough sleep before we look immediately to the data and think that that can inform us better than our own self? Mm. And then there's the consequence of the parents who don't sleep at night because the baby's tossing and turning and the monitor's waking them, right. you know, that right. hypervigilance. Somehow, that the- yes, yes. And that exists everywhere. That kind of ambient hypervigilance, I think, exists across the board now. We know that, you know, messages are coming in at all times of day or night. The ad yeah. that played at the break, I thought that was amazing about how kids experience what they learn at school. You know, Mm -hmm. kids have this ambient sense that they could wake up to any number of posts about themselves. Um, And sometimes they will scan social media throughout the night or gamers. Gamers will wake up because now their clans um, can exist. The the team that they play with in their games can exist from places all over the world. And their matches may be at two in the morning Mm. because they're playing on a team in Europe. So, I mean, I think that hypervigilance that you mentioned is is one of the things that is having the most impact on us as a result of technology. Mm. Well, let me ask you one more question, and then I want to go into some concrete and specifics of of what our listeners can do, um, because you offer so much in the book. I want to talk about it in a minute, but what about these babies, infants, toddlers growing up with technology? We're talking about how it's changing our brains, changing our bodies, changing our eyes. Um, I read once, you know, that there's so much more carpal carpal tunnel in the thumbs and the, (laughs) you know, there's just like all of these consequences. What about these newborn babes um, and infants and toddlers? And when we hand them a screen for entertainment, what kind of effects are we seeing? A lot. And, And I would be remiss if I didn't bring up one very important finding that is not really in the book because the technology and the research around it is coming out so rapidly uh, that I just can't keep up in every area. But over the course of the last year, really, there is more information coming out even about the radio frequency uh, impact on cancerous tumors. And I do think I, I just need to say that the American Academy of Pediatrics and others are talking about that. And so so parents do need to be aware that that is an issue. Um, in, in addition to that, there are several effects, you know, one of uh, a very a uh, high-selling popular item for one of our 
largest toy manufacturers in our country is the Aptivity line, where even the teething toys have a space where you insert a smartphone. And so we've got six-month-old teething on something where they've also got the stimulation of a smartphone. Um, this basically creates an inoculation effect to lower levels of stimulation. So if, you, if you're used to having you know, a new image to look at every three or four seconds, your brain wires in such a way that it needs that or it literally becomes dysregulated. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we are seeing, you know, issues with lack of focus and inability to attend that aren't just because kids have a proclivity toward those things, but literally that their brains are being wired and that their physical experience is such that they just don't develop the ability to tolerate the pace of actual embodied life, which is much slower than that of technology. So I think there's an impact on the brain. There are also um, other impacts that we just can't, we can't even know about yet because it's all so new. Um, I think I think I would need to leave it there or we're gonna be down another 20 minute <laughs> pathway. <laughs> Well, it is fascinating and it's so important. And, you know, this is affecting all aspects of our development. I mean, our social development, our relational development, our sexual development. It's it's really affecting everything. And we really, I, I think I'm hearing you encourage parents to think twice about how you want your child's brain wired. And yes. I, this idea about getting bored with the slower embodied world, I think, is a really important point to just nail home here. It's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this is where I go to if everyone could just think about setting norms, you know, we, we set norms for our children with their diets, you know, making sure they get lots of healthy, wholesome food. We set norms around all kinds of things, but we seem and I think it's partially because we don't want to consider our own use. <laughs> and this is where I talk about, you know, having non shame based conversations across High, high users of technology and low users of technology across all generational lines, across gender lines, um, we all could probably use to step back and set healthier norms. To, and when we do engage technology, to do it with a mind toward engaging high quality content or content that we create rather than content that we just consume, mm. uh, making sure that we, it, we balance our tech use with a very rich and fiery life. You know, I, I think all the time about if we don't put people who are fiery and who disagree with us and who are very much different from us in our own lives in order to force us to have these kind of uh, rich experiences experiences, then we will just gravitate toward finding those folks in tech spaces or digital spaces. Um, and those will never be as kind of challenging to us as people as they will be in our embodied spaces. Mm. There's That's kind of a homogeneity that happens in our tech spaces, partially because our algorithms feed us more of what we've already encountered. And we need a heterogeneity of experiences and people to really create the richness of our beings that I believe we were intended to be. I can just feel your really big heart and this empathic, compassionate place of you holding this whole topic of technology. And so I appreciate it so much, even, you know, just bringing up the, the idea that 
um, we engage in non-shaming conversations mm-hmm. about this and, and to be careful about that. So thank you for that diligence there. And I, I love when you said um, the suggestion of us creating content instead mm-hmm. of consuming content. Like how brilliant is that right there as a prescription for all of us, of, you know, the mm-hmm. content that we create instead of the content we consume. Mm-hmm. Mm. It, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Doreen, I'm holding this book right now, Deviced. And <laughs> the one thing I really appreciate about this book is number one, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's this huge, amazing resource that um, I know I'm, I'm not finished reading. Um, I, I could not read it all and absorb it all to prepare for this show. It's just, it's really comprehensive. But the, the thing that's really sweet is in every chapter, there are places where you invite the reader to take action. On every topic, there's take action. And then there's some more at the end of the chapter if you've got more to share on what they really can be doing to, um, you know, more ideas for them. So this take action piece is beautiful. So with that, do you have any concrete and specific action plan to help our listeners besides buy the book, read the book, you're going to love it, but (laughs) to create a healthy balance between our online and offline lives and to avoid the dangers of technology addiction and all these things we're talking about, because there are beautiful uses for technology and you bring that out too, but what are some concrete and specific tasks or action plans that, that you might recommend today here and now? I love that question. Well, first of all, the thing I do want to say is that research and science tells us that 10 minutes a day of mindfulness meditation doubles the gray matter in the regions of the brain that are often frequently um, reduced in their wiring as a result of a lot of exposure to screens. So that the the biggest thing I can encourage is a is some kind of a meditation practice. Um, and there are lots of great places to, to find those. Some of the time, though, I would love for people to try to do that without their devices, <laughs> to yeah. just literally find something of beauty to gaze at or take some time to breathe deeply. Anything that we can do also that will um, encourage us, again, to consume higher quality content or slower moving content. So thinking about, you know, if, if we just tend to find ourselves binging on a Netflix series or on YouTube clips to maybe decide ahead of time, I'm going to watch one episode. You know, this is now a radical act of health (laughs) rather than Mm -hmm. binging on an entire season at once. So making some decisions ahead of time about how we can become moderate. Um, It can be very helpful to some people to download apps or the new Apple iOS system um, actually will send you a report either at the end of every day or every Every week of how many times you've literally touched your phone and where you've spent your time. Sometimes doing something like that can be very helpful in terms of just telling yourself the truth. We are all very good at saying overuse of technology or technology addiction is a real thing and has negative impacts, but we tend to be horrible about saying it might apply to ourselves. <laughs> mm. So 
you know, first just taking a really good solid look, then making sure that there are some times that we are pushing ourselves to do uncomfortable things that inconvenience us in our lives. So some of the times actually driving to the store and purchasing things and making eye contact with the, you know, person who's ringing us up rather than ordering everything off Amazon and having it delivered or, um, some of the time when we feel tempted to just make that sixth communication be a text communication, sometimes picking up the phone and making a call, even if at the beginning of that call, we have to say, I only have five minutes, but I, but I wanted to just do this voice to voice. Um, any of those things I find really help us just balance. Again, we just want to balance our use, not, not negate it. Um, Sometimes when you want to play that next level of a video game, because it at least helps you feel like you're accomplishing something, give yourself permission to accomplish just being, just standing in line, not, not taking out your phone, experiencing what that feels like to be maybe uncomfortable in that moment. Are those some ideas that are helpful? Those are really helpful. Yes, thank you. When you talk about binge watching a whole whole season at one time, you know, people are really proud of that. Like, yep. oh, you know, what what's good for me? I'm going to do a binge. So it, it brings a, another question I think would be helpful for our listeners um, is the conversation about addiction. Mm-hmm. What do we know about addiction and technology? We know gaming is addictive. What do we know about technology? That's this would be a whole other hour. <laughs> There's a huge debate um, in in the research community and I think the clinical and educational community about addiction. And I think until we are able to get a little further away from um, some of the ways that money and power are <laughs> at play um, in in digital spaces, it's going to be hard to to really uh, know in terms of black and white science. But I will tell you that I hear young adults a lot of times use the phrase, I feel addicted to this. I hear adults say that too. Um, but I find that none of us like to admit how dependent we feel and that when we find ways of stepping away from it and soothing ourselves with the initial discomfort, just like we are uncomfortable stepping away from anything we're addicted to, we oftentimes feel a freedom that, that to me um, substantiates the claim that there are addictive properties to this. Mm. So as a psychologist, if we have, we have a lot of really amazing evolutionary thinkers and leaders that tune into this and a a lot of parents and grandparents, if there's a listener out there today, who's wondering, um, is my child or grandchild, is there a problem or, you know, they don't interact, they're not talking, they're on their devices all the time. What advice might you give them? I think I would encourage them. In my book, I've I've worked really hard to try to come up with an assessment tool because that's what I find missing. And, and, And you'll find that there. And sadly, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. But the thing I would think about is, you know, I would think about can my child or myself focus for, on something for more than a minute? Can I hear a text come in and not check it right away? Can I delay gratification? Can I focus? Can I regulate my emotions or do I kind of come unhinged and my, and do I not have the commensurate ability to soothe or calm the self? If those things are at play, uh, as well as if 
there is a lack of balance between a person's connection to people in embodied spaces and their digital spaces, I would attend to that. Um, I would also look at the content that, that the child is exposed to. Content that is highly violent, highly sexualized, highly gender uh, stereotype based or monetized, meaning there are advertisements involved. Those four kinds of content are especially addictive. And if, if, if that's the majority of, of content exposure, I'd be thinking about that. So those are the kinds of things I think about in terms of assessing dependence and addiction over healthy use. Mm. And you also write about, um, in, in the book, you talk about that feeling of missing out, um, mm-hmm. that that drives us so often, like we're going to miss out on something. And you, you mentioned the gaming and having to wake up in the middle of the night, but literally it's like, oh, I wonder if somebody responded to my post or how many likes do I have or, you know, right. whatever that might be. And, and it, it, there's there's so much to this conversation. It's like, wow, like, wow. Okay. So we didn't get through my list of questions, (laughs) but we we have a few more minutes here. And I want to give you the opportunity, Doreen, to just speak to anything that we haven't talked about that you really want to bring home about this idea of of being devised and how we really do, uh, you know, we're invited to create balance here in our technology with, with the good and the not so good, but you do a good job of really inviting us into that balance. What more do you want to say in three minutes or so about this topic? I think what I would want to say is that I would love to encourage everyone to just settle in for a few moments and have a really Um, welcoming and affirming conversation with yourself or the others in your life about where you may be a little too, or I may be, or we may be a little too dependent upon our technology. And then look around your environment and see what kinds of fiery, embodied, stimulating and soothing things you have around or lack thereof. And think about how you might infuse the, the spaces that you're body lives in with opportunities that are so interesting and unique and compelling that you kind of almost easily forget (laughs) your technology. So I'm looking around my space right now and I have some beautiful essential oils diffusing and I've got over in the corner, my meditation cushion is there and I've got some balance boards and I've got a basket filled with kandamas and diablos and yo-yos. And there are some finger labyrinths here and a singing bowl and a big bin of Legos. You know, what are the kinds of things that remind you of what it feels like to just be in your skin or who are the people that a conversation with would make it worth the discomfort of making a phone call or sitting across the table from them rather than texting. Mm. And what can, you know, what can we do to not so much to uh, think about saying no, no, no to technology, but instead to say yes to all the richness that, that are these beautiful bundles of skin that we live in Mm -hmm. um, and that those around us live in and how can we encourage that? Beautiful. Mm. Doreen, thank you so much for being with us today and really enlighten us. Even for you to say it's an inconvenience or a discomfort to call someone tells us about our time. So thank you Mm -hmm. so much for joining us. I am so deeply, deeply grateful for the invitation and for 
the way that you are impacting the world. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And I want to leave our listeners with a quote from the book, Deviced. And do go check this out. It is so enlightening. So here's a quote from Doreen. The bottom line is this. Technology and digital devices are here to stay. Oversimplified, all or none approaches to understanding or engaging digital devices encourages avoidance of the kinds of thoughtful considerations or meaningful discussions that might make our use healthier and less harmful. Saying that technology is all bad or all good does nothing to address the reality that is beautifully potent and rife with both positive and pain-inducing potential with virtue and vice. To be healthy as individuals and communities, we benefit by being willing to look at these issues of how technology is impacting us from all sides and doing so with a measure of grace and openness. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. And remember, together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.